This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Mark 11, I'm going to read for you 22, but basically this is a story of when Jesus was walking along and he's with his disciples and he's on his way to Jerusalem and he has a look and he's like, he sees a fig tree and he's like, well, let me go and get some figs and he gets and there are no figs on the fig tree because it wasn't seasoned and then he cursed the fig tree and off he went and they went off to Jerusalem and then they came back the next day and while they were walking through, his disciples said to him, look at that fig tree. The one that you spoke to yesterday, it's withered up and it's died from the roots. And Jesus had a response to him. I'm going to start reading from verse 22. I just want to read 22 and 23. And Jesus, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whatever, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. I want to speak to you this morning on something I've titled, My word shall not return to me void. My word shall not return to me void. We've been talking a lot about the last few weeks about the importance of God wanting to really interrogate where we are in our Christian walk with him. And I believe that he's doing a job of tearing out the pages of those things that are superfluous, that are unnecessary, and things that are extraneous to who he is and what he's all about. And what he's saying is, I'm wanting to regain focus, and I'm wanting to come back to that place where it is you and me in intimacy of relationship. What does that look like? How is that defined, and how do we move forward? The things that I speak to you about are things that he's kind of doing in my life. And so, the, what I share with you this morning, I'm going to give you that I believe is something he's given me and that he wants me to share with you. My encouragement to you is this. Take it and go and spend time with the Holy Spirit. Okay? I am not Jesus. Which lets me off the hook. <laughs> means I don't have to be perfect. But you're walking out your own salvation with him. And in that capacity, there's only you and him in that boat. And so you need to take those things and you need to spend some time with him because he's going to do some stuff in that capacity. Okay? Yes. Okay, this is good. I promise you. What I've got to share with you today, I believe, will change the dynamic of your Christian life. It's simple, but I think we missed it a little bit. Speaking for me. Do you know who Sarah is? Okay. Some of you do. Some of you don't. Some of you have heard of Sarah, but you really don't know terribly much about her. You've kind of heard things via the grapevine and, you know, kind of put two and two together. Others of you kind of say hello to her and you have an association with her and it's kind of like, well, I know who she is. And then there are other people here who have a good friendship with her. And you know her in a more intimate way than other people do. The reason I raise that with you is because it's important that we begin to understand that in our relationship with God, the context of our relationship reveals the nature of that relationship. If you just have a respect for God 
and he is somebody who's distant from you, but you know about God, the, the, the degree to which you're going to experience God and the nature of that relationship is going to be very differently defined to somebody who knows him intimately and walks with him every day. The nature of our relationship, the context of our relationship with God becomes very, very important. God is not somebody who's looking for us to be distanced from him. He's wanting and inviting us into a place where we get to know him in an intimate way. I haven't got to any heavy stuff yet. (laughs) You're heavier than I am. Okay, are you with me? We're going to take a little bit of a detour and we're going to take the scenic route. Just stick with me, I promise you, because it'll all make sense. When we get towards the end, you'll put the pieces back together and be like, okay, I get why I went there. Okay. Dear Lord, help me, Jesus. (laughs) Espressos for everybody. Okay. I know her better than any of you know her. And the reason that I know her better than any of you is because I'm married to her. And when you marry to somebody, marriage is an interesting word because marriage is not an entity in and of itself. Marriage is not a thing. Marriage is a descriptor of that sacred union that brings two people together. And what gives definition to marriage is the contributions of those two individuals in that capacity. That's why marriage is different from one to the next. They're not all identical. They don't all look the same. Why? Because the people who constitute that union are different. And so in the context of that space, what ends up happening is there is a continual ebb and flow, and there is a continual movement, and there is continual discovery, and there is continual revelation on both parts, and that marriage is moving, and it's, and it's changing, and it's growing, and it's expanding, and it may be compromised, and it may face friction. Why? Because it's not static. It's made up and it is composite of two entities that are living in that space. It is a space of redefinition. Anybody will tell you, anyone who's been married for longer than five minutes, if there's one guarantee, it is this. The way that you move into that space is never the way you're going to stay. You will change. Because you see, the thing about it is when you move into that place, you move into a place of vulnerability. You're not vulnerable with everybody. You don't have to be. I don't even have to be vulnerable with my friends. I can enjoy their company. I can enjoy their time. And I can show them the fun side to me and the happy side to me and all that we enjoy. And those are wonderful times and those are ones moments when we celebrate and we have a good time. But then I go home and the real me eventually comes out. And I was like, oh, that is so irritating. And I was like, well, why didn't you say that? You see, there are things that I can take and things that I can hide. There are places that I can go and can't get shelter in many other relationships. But in the context of marriage, you are always going to be at a place where you're vulnerable. They get to see you and know you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's going to challenge you. Because you know it all too often happens. Those areas where you're weak, very often your partner is strong. And now you have a choice to make. 
What are you going to do? And I learn and I grow and we share and our lives become more expansive, hopefully. When you got born again, you became part of the church of God. I speak of it that way because I think God references that way intentionally because when he talks about the church of God, he talks about the bride of Christ. When he talks about the bride of Christ, he doesn't do that accidentally. What he's doing is he's setting a framework and he's setting a foundation where he's beginning to introduce us to the idea that as the bride of Christ, you're going to move into a space where the two shall become one. Spiritually, God is having a look at that place when you got born again and the very life of God came and dwells on the inside of you. It created a space where his life defines who I am on the inside of me. And what he's introducing us to is the idea that as the bride of Christ spends time with the groom, the two shall become one. Now, he has an unfair advantage. And you can be happy for that. And his advantage is this. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means... When it comes to change in that relationship, it's a one-way street. You're not going to change him. But you can celebrate that because the God that you're talking about and the God that comes into a relationship with you is a God of love. He comes in and he says, you know what? I love who you are. And I love what you're about. And I love the fact that I created you uniquely and different to everybody else. And in that space, I want you to discover who I am. He is so patient with us. I wish I was as patient with my kids as he is with us. But he is so gracious and gives us so much latitude. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always there. And it doesn't matter how much our relationship with him, we may feel as though it's eroded and it's distant. The thing about it is inherently within us, the moment that that life moved in, we know that he's there. And we can sense it, no matter how far we are from him. His light, his love, his life, Everything that flourishes and that is good, everything that speaks of growth and expansion and newness comes from him. He's light. And the reason that light is so valuable is because in the context of intimacy, what ends up happening is he illuminates parts to us that we don't always want to see. But he doesn't do it to judge you. And he doesn't do it to criticize you. He does it to bring illumination to you. To sit and say, if you let me come into that part of your life, that vulnerability, that deficit, that thing that you have that's sitting right there that leaves you vulnerable, I can impart life to it and change who you are. You see, when we think about our relationship with God and we speak about intimacy and we speak about uh, the, the nature of being close to him, very often we think about the fact that we are vulnerable because we cannot hide. 
And he knows who we are. He knows what's in our heart. And he's illuminating that, not because he doesn't know it, but because you don't. He's showing you aspects to who you are. But in the context of intimacy, it's not one-sided. You see, he's not just showing you about who you are, but he uses that time for revelation, to reveal to you who he is. He's wanting you to understand that in the context of intimacy, of that, that sacred space, he wants for you to begin to realize who he is and what he's all about. Because when we understand who he is and we begin to open ourselves up to his influence in our life, it becomes transformational. And in the context of the two becoming one, I begin to change. I begin to change because I discovered something about him and who he is. Hebrews 11 verse 32 says, the people who know their God shall do great exploits. The people who know their God shall do great exploits. Not the people who know about God. He's not talking about that. He's saying those people who understand the importance and the significance, those people who are pursuing intimacy of relationship with me, the people who know me shall do great exploits. Knowing is not being aware of. Knowing in that context is about partaking. It's being defined by the one with whom I'm in relationship. He's imparting something of himself to me, which is redefining who I am and the boundaries of my life. The Bible is full of people who shifted the context of their relationship with God, only to discover a new nature in him. And when they discovered more about who he was, things began to change in their life. And when things changed in their life, things began to change in their world. Vivian. My daughter plays lacrosse. And she enjoys lacrosse. She plays it well. And she played rec lacrosse for a number of years. And her mom used to coach her. And she enjoyed rec lacrosse. But she reached a point where she had to make a decision about what she wanted to do. Because you see, rec lacrosse is open to everybody, which is a good thing. We want everybody to come in. The more people who come in, the merrier. The problem with it is you have a very mixed bag. You have some people who are there because they're determined and they're committed and they want to do something with the sport and they want to grow in that capacity. And then you have other people who just, ah, laissez-faire. It's okay. I'm just here for the fun of it. Don't push me too hard. Don't ask me to run too far. Don't ask me to practice outside of this. And so in that mix, she had to make a decision because it was like, fine, if you want to go somewhere and you want to move to a new dimension, if you want to move to a new chapter in your lacrosse, you have to understand this. 
That the tools that you have where you currently are are not going to be the tools that are going to sustain you where you want to go. You have to understand that the skill set that you've developed up until this point has been okay and it has left you at a place where you're able to experience that and enjoy that for where it is. But you need to know that if you want to go to a higher place, you're going to have to add some new skills to what you have. You're going to have to change and add a new vision for what the game is all about. You're going to have to add to yourself a new appetite and hunger for those things. You're going to have to add some new things to who you are so that you can step out from where you are and move into something new. What you have and what enabled you to be successful where you were are not things that are necessarily going to be the tools that are going to equip you for your future. It's the same with our Christianity. It's so interesting to me how we all seem to walk a similar path. There's slight variations, but in principles, it's so, it's so similar for many, many people. We meet God, and He's so good. And he touches our life and things change. And in that moment, it's like I, I, I birthed on the inside of me uh, an appetite and a hunger for the things of God. And I want to do things for God. So what ends up happening? I tell God, God, you know what? I'm committing my life to you. I'm going to live my life for you. And we go out and we live our life for him. And we're aware of him all the time with regularity. And so I'm making adjustments because I don't want to go some of the places I used to go. And I want to treat people differently with more respect. And I'm trying really hard to be a person who's patient. And I feel the need to volunteer in things. And so I go and I begin participating in the soup kitchen and in the food pantry. And I get involved in social upliftment programs and charity outreaches that help and affect the lives of people. And I go on mission trips and we go together with things and and we build churches for people outside of places. And I'm doing a great job of living my life for God. My intention is not to criticize any of those things. Please understand me. But what I can guarantee for you is this. As long as you live your life for God, you will only ever talk about him. You will never experience him. He never called you to live your life for him. He called you so that he can live his life through you. It's so simple. And it's such a nuance. But it's so significant. So much of the body is caught in living their lives for God. Trying so hard to do stuff for God. Working really hard for Him. Because I have a genuine love for Him. And I sincerely want to see Him. And I want to experience Him. And I want to do stuff that is significant for Him in the earth. I'm living really hard for God. But I'm unfulfilled. Because all I ever know about is Him. But I've never touched him. I've never known him inside of me. I don't get to experience him until he lives his life through me.
begin to realize it's the tools I've used up until this point to get me to where I am and to participate in my Christian experiences are not going to be the tools that I need to move into a deeper realm with God. I'm going to have to leave some stuff behind and I'm going to have to move into something different so that I'm not trying to live for him but I'm learning how to let him live through me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'll read it to you because I want to read it out of the Passion. My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. You know what he's saying? Stop trying to do things for me. Here's a paraphrased version. I don't want your works. I appreciate that you love me. I appreciate that you want more of me. I appreciate the va- that you value the importance and the significance of your Christianity and who I am. But you can't go where I want you to be. I need you to recognize that. And not only recognize it, I need you to draw a line in the sand. I need you to put something in there that sits and says, that part of me is dead. It's not going to define my future. It's not to say you're not going to touch people's lives. It's not to say that you may not go out there and go on mission trips. It's not to say that you may not get involved in all kinds of charity works. But it's not going to be because you initiated it. It's going to be because he initiated it. What did he tell you to do? I'm crucifying who I used to be. I will no longer live for him. I'm now going to move to a place where I begin to adjust so that my future is defined by him living through me. It sounds good, but how does it work? Watch my eyeball. And the essence of the new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. Intimacy of relationship. The moment you got born again, what ended up happening is the life of God came and took up residence on the inside of you. I speak about this often, and I use it often because I want it to resonate. But old things have passed away, and all things have become brand new. Do you know what he's talking about in that context as well? It's not only the fact that your sin and your sin nature and everything was got, got, all of that is gone. And that's true. But it goes beyond that. What he's saying is your mechanism for living life needs to change. The way it used to be was I used to do things for God. But it's going to become brand new. Suddenly I have to move into a dimension where I begin to discover what it means to let him love through, live through me. All things are becoming new. And in the context of all things becoming new, I can learn from people. 
because I can see what's beginning to work in their lives. I work, I can learn from scripture because it's valuable to me. But the most important guide you will ever have is the Holy Spirit. You are not going to know how to do that. I don't know how to do some of those things. And I become dependent on the one who does. I will give you a comforter. I will give you someone who will be your teacher, who will be your coach. The purpose of him is to sit and say, I know you don't know. you comfortable living your life. But you don't know how to destroy your life, how to kill your life, and how to move to a place so that he lives his life through you. I'm the only one who can guide you into that. So we become dependent on his influence, and we become dependent on his direction. And what we do is we take his cues and we move from that. There's something so important about all things are passed away and all things have become new. And it's this. God took up residence in your life, but he took up residence in your spirit, not in your head. In moving forward with God, one of the most fundamental things becomes our ability to be able to have fellowship with him. If you can't talk to God and you can't hear his voice, I can't get out of the starting blocks. I'm going to show you why. God is alive. And because he's alive, he's interested in your life and he is looking for opportunity to speak to us all the time. The problem with it is I'm so used to living from my head and my understanding and my knowledge and my experience and everything that comes into my head that I don't know how to shift from head to spirit. But you're never going to hear him here. He's not talking to your head. He's not resident in here. He's resident in here. I have to. There is no way around this. I have to get to a place where I can connect with him inside me. I dare you to find one person, one person in the Bible who did anything for God that never spoke with him. Bring me one. There isn't any. Everybody had communication with him, whether it was through an angel or whether somebody appeared to them or whether it was alive on the inside of them. Our ability to hear his voice becomes so important. He's inside you. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. We glance over that so quickly. Please listen to this. This is very, very important. My life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. Whose faith is it? The faith of the Son of God. What he's saying in that It's really important. So hold on to this. Just put this because we're going to go back to this. He's saying, I own it. Faith is of me. Okay? Just hold on to that for a second. 
who loved me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. What I want to speak about a little bit and give you a practical example of and an understanding of is he's sitting saying, my life that I want to impart to you is going to come through a mechanism called faith. And you don't have faith, I do. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you something of mine so that you can use it to realize who I am and experientially, experientially encounter who I am. Our future is not to be defined by what I can do. My future is to be defined by Christ's life in me. You see, what you can do is going to define the parameters of your life over here. But the moment you die to yourself and you say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, suddenly the boundaries disappear. And all of a sudden, what I'm capable of doing, not because of myself, because I'm no longer there, but what he's going to do through me moves and shifts the boundaries of my life from where it is way out there. All of a sudden, I can participate in a dimension of life and I can experience a part of life I was never capable of doing on myself because it's not about me, it's about him. As Christ's life is imparted to me, as he moves into me in a more expansive way, what ends up happening is the boundaries of my life are changing. They're not staying static. They're not locked where they are. Because every time he introduces a new part of who he is to me, and that becomes something which begins to define who I am, it's an opportunity and an invitation to push those boundaries out a little bit more. I'm no longer inhibited and limited by the natural. You see, when you participate in the things of Christ, you don't have to try and look for the supernatural. It's who he is. When you discover him, you discover the supernatural. Because what he's saying is, I'm not limited to the natural realm. When you introduce me into the situation, I come with my life and my spirit, and that puts the super on the natural, which changes everything. If you want to live the supernatural life, get Christ. Stop chasing the supernatural. You don't have to chase light if you get hold of the sun. People are pursuing the light everywhere. Let me go and try and find the light. Get hold of the sun and you'll be fine. When you get hold of Christ, you won't have to worry about stepping into the supernatural. You won't have to have a look and sit and say, how do I take this stuff and how do I do something with it? How do I look for God to do something in that place? Because I found him, I found everything that comes with him. And it brings about change. In um, John 3 verse 6, it says... What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Somewhere in your journey, you're going to come to the crossroads of spirit and flesh. And you're going to have to make a choice. I can continue with what's born of me. And I can love God. And I can continue down that road. 
But I promise you, you will never experience him. Because what's born of the flesh is flesh. God is not flesh, God is spirit. If you want to participate in the things of God, I have to hit the crossroad and make a point to sit and say, at this juncture, I'm making a decision. It's no longer I who live. But I'm going to go down. What's born of the spirit is spirit. He's saying something significant. What he's telling you is this. In the journey forward with God, there is a major shift that has to take place in terms of where we understand and we realize our life is going to come from. It's not about what you know or what you understand. It's not about what happens up here. It's about what is gifted in here. That's why the only role that your mind plays in the things of God is to give you a framework for where God is and how he works. Beyond that, it does nothing. It will never introduce you to life. Because life is of the spirit. It's not of the flesh. So it becomes really important in that context that we begin to understand and we discern those things. There needs to be a barometer in going forward, especially initially, because we're so comfortable with the things of the flesh that they're so second nature to us. And the funny thing about it is, when the motivation is I'm doing it because I love God, it feels so right. It's like, how could this be wrong? It's just that I've left him out of the equation. That's the problem. So in going forward, barometer, what's flesh is flesh, what's spirit is spirit. This is what happens, and this is the big difference between flesh and spirit. If you have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Do you know what it's saying? It's saying the things that God wants to do in your life are going to be birthed from things that are spiritual. And what he's saying is this, that the way that God is going to work and the things that God wants to do in your, in your life, because it is spiritual in nature, not only is the material spiritual, but the way that it's going to work is going to be spiritual through a spiritual mechanism. All of that makes absolutely no sense to the natural man, to your mind. Your mind doesn't understand either spiritual material or the way that the spirit works. It doesn't comprehend that. It's foolishness to the mind. Not only that, but because of that, it's not able to know those things. Knowing is not talking about knowledge and understanding. What it's saying is the mind is incapable of introducing you to an encounter with that. You will never experience that stuff as long as you're trying to get it through here. You see, our mental faculties were given to us because we're natural people. But the thing about it is the natural man is always looking to produce and to manufacture. That's fine in a natural capacity, but it doesn't work in a spiritual capacity. You see, in a spiritual capacity, God isn't about production and manufacturing. God and spirit is all about the birthing of newness of life. The way that you were born again was not because you worked really hard at it, because you were able to produce something that said, God, look at me, how fabulous I am. 
You were born again. It was nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with what was spiritual. It had to do with God taking what was of his nature. Spirit. And using spirit to birth something on the inside of you that was of God. You see, our natural mind always wants to gather knowledge. So that it has understanding. A grid work and a framework for understanding. So that I can produce and move into what I need to do. But those things are all of the flesh. It's immaterial in the spirit realm. In the spirit realm, God is all about gifting from who he is. It's called grace. God is all about injecting and introducing life to you. And the mechanism that he uses for introducing life to you is faith and grace. There's an interesting verse in Romans chapter 4 verse 16. It says, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Do you know what that means? It means God is going to, Jesus is going to give you his faith. Who owns it? Christ, remember we read. Okay, The the faith of the Son of God. He owns it. He is going to give you his faith. So that as you exercise that faith, you open the door to grace in your life and God steps in. That's what that verse means. It's saying to you, God is everything and in everything. He's not only the material that really constitutes everything that is spiritual in our lives, but he's going to be the mechanism that does that as well. Everything is wrapped up in Christ. Everything is wrapped up in Christ. So they're walking back. And they have a look at the fig tree and it's dying. And they say, well, what, what, you know, what happened here? And Jesus turns around and he says to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. We understand that to mean if I have confidence in God and his ability, he will move the mountain. We understand that to mean, okay, if I can have enough faith, God will do something. If I can believe, if I can build up my belief on the inside of me so that it is strong enough, and at the same time, I can get rid of all my doubts, It'll put me at a place where God will do something in my life. What's the problem with it? Rafa was listening. The barometer. It's about me. It's all about my works. Let me believe. Let me get rid of all of the doubts. And then I will step into something. And because I believe that God can do this. And because I've created enough faith on the inside of me. Stuff will happen in my life. And so many Christians have worked so hard at trying to believe. At trying to get rid of all doubts. Only to discover that their prayers were never answered. Because we made a fatal mistake. You see, we thought that my belief and mistook my belief for his faith. I can believe 
But it doesn't necessarily mean it's his faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, We are saved by grace through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any should boast. Number one, it's not of works. What he's saying is, I'm not trying to do anything for God here. Get rid of it. How are you saved? By grace, through faith. There were two things that were in operation there. What did we read a little bit earlier? God gives us something called faith. He gives us something of himself and imparts that to us because when we use that as the door, we get to open the door to our lives and God floods it with his grace. And it comes in and brings change. The faith of God is God's power imparted to us that brings the victory. It's what Christ did, not what I did. I've never accomplished anything. I never beat the devil. He did. I've got to take what he gives me and it'll move me into that space. Let me give you an example which I think will be helpful and I've used this before because it's such a good one if I say so myself. So I tell my kids on Tuesday, you know what? I'm so, you guys are just so fabulous. I'll tell you what. Friday after school, we're going to Cold Stone for ice cream. There's some interesting things here. My kids could be there and they could be sitting saying, you know what? Man, we would love ice cream. Gee, ice cream would be good. Ice cream would be such a fabulous thing. You know what? I know that dad has the ability to take us. I know that dad actually could transport us there. And actually, I know that dad could really pay for the ice cream. And I know that dad loves us so much that dad really wants to do that. What am I doing? I'm feeding my belief. I believe God can do that. I believe dad can do that. I believe that he has the ability. But although they believe that, there is no guarantee that they're going on Friday until they sat with me and I said, you know what? On Friday, I'm taking you to Cold Stone. What happened in that moment? What happened in that moment is I took something of myself and I imparted it to them. And I said, you know what? Because you trust me, because you know who I am, what I will do is this. I'm going to give you my word. And you can hold on to that. I've given them a foundation that they can stand on. I've given them something all of a sudden which becomes the substance of what they're hoping for even though they haven't got it yet. Why do they know it's coming? Because dad said it. Dad told me that. You know what the problem is? We know that God is the healer. And we believe that he's the healer. And we read about him being the healer. And we know that he's the healer. And we can get doubts out of our way that he's the healer. But until I get to the place where I spend time with him, where he sits and says, this is what I want to do in your life, I don't have a word from him. Faith comes by hearing a word from God. 
That's why your intimacy of relationship is so important with him. That's why your ability to commune with him is so important. That's why your ability to be able to talk with him is so important. Because it's in the context where my belief will take me into that place. My belief will take me to the place where I believe that he is my provider. My belief will take me to the place where I know that he's good and he loves me. But when he opens his mouth and he says, do this because I'll provide for you. I've heard something from him. We don't hear from God. And we mistake trust for faith. We trust him. But I don't have anything from him. I know he's supposed to be about the provider, Jehovah Jireh, the God who's there for me. I know. But should I tell you something? Faith doesn't come through Logos. What you know about God is not faith. Faith comes through Rhema. A spoken word from God. Get out of your head. I've got to connect with him in my heart. I've got to connect with him in my spirit. Because that's where I get to have conversation with him. That's where I get to take all of my cares and my issues to him. That's where I can put it at his feet. Where he says, come unto me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's when I get with him and he speaks to me. When God gives you something, it'll change everything else. How do you know if you have faith? He said, you know what? If you have faith as a mustard seed, tiny little bit of faith, you'll be able to move mountains. Mountains are talking about Spiritual strongholds, satanic spiritual strongholds, things you can move. What he's saying is, if you have the smallest little bit of faith, you can shift that mountain. This is where David goes to war with Goliath. The thing about faith is this. Faith accomplishes what it's been sent to do. Faith changes things. If you don't, if you have faith, things happen. If things are not happening, what I would suggest to you is this. Have a look at whether you've got something of his or whether you're operating out of trust. I need him to give me something of his. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why does he say that? Because he says, you know what? Let me rephrase it a different way. Without me gifting you something that is of mine, you will never be able to walk into my plans and purposes for your life. You'll never be able to walk into the promises for my life, for your life. Because it's not about what you can do. It's about my word that's committed to you. Why is it that I can stand on God's word and I know? Because if he comes in and he says to you, you know what? Heather, I'm doing this for you this afternoon. God says, you know what? I exalt my word above my name. Because I told you that, you can be guaranteed it will happen. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God will fulfill what it's sent to achieve. That's why when he speaks to you, what ends up happening is 
It builds on the inside of us a confidence. Not that I'm trying to generate, but because of what he's given to me. The second part of that verse says, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart. That's the second part of the verse. The thing about it is this. You get the second part when you have the first part. Until you have the faith, it's very hard to believe. It's really easy to believe when Jesus walks in and says, this is going to happen, do it. All of a sudden, I can believe that. You know what the amazing thing is about his impartation to me? It begins to work on the inside of me. And it takes care of those things, like my doubts and my worries and my concerns. Why? Because Jesus told me this. Jesus told me. We don't hear from him. And so we don't live by faith. We live by trust. And we try to live by belief. And we try to get rid of everything out of our life that we believe is going to erode that. But I've just stepped into the natural realm. The spiritual realm is all about impartation. Him taking and depositing to me and me utilizing what he's given me so that I can step into the fullness of what he's promised. My encouragement for you this week is this. Stop working for God. Stop trying to live your life for God and put the brakes on. It's finished. Let it go. From this moment forward, and Kevin's coming to pray for us in a minute. From this moment forward, I'm not trying to live for him. But my focus and my intention is to discover and let the Holy Spirit guide me and lead me to a place where he's beginning to live his life through me. I'm using as a barometer with regularity not to step back into the same trap in thinking that I can generate the faith necessary to do what God wants me to do. But moving to that place where I develop the intimacy of relationship with the two become one. And what he's saying to me is in that space, when you come and talk to me and I talk to you, I will give you something. I will give you a word. And when I tell you what's going to happen, you can take that to the bank.